This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and 920-1260 and 1420-AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in to Shine On. How's it going? We here in the Northeast have had some crazy, super hot and humid days. I've got mushrooms growing all over the yard, doing all kinds of things to keep the chickens cool. I hope things are going well with you. And now that we're moving about the country again, perhaps it's a good idea to think about the older people in our lives and to make sure they're doing okay. Our first guest is Mary Underwood. She is a social worker and a memory care specialist at Artis, and she has some great advice for you if you're concerned about an older loved one's memory issues. So just the other night I was at an event and I met a group of people I've known my whole life and I haven't seen them in a long time. And one of the men in the group seemed a little, distant but lovely and you know I got the big hug and the kiss and the how are you and and that was all great but later in the evening one of that gentleman's family members leaned over in my ear and said this man is beginning to suffer from dementia and the family was very slow to respond and I found out talking to Mary that is the most common thing that when we fear someone has a memory issue, we wait. We can write it off so quickly when perhaps we should be launching into action. The most important thing is the thing, unfortunately, that most families do very commonly, including my own, is we tend to wait a little too long to to get the help that's needed. Because with dementia, the earlier signs of dementia are also very normal parts of aging. You know, forgetting things, not being able to recall numbers easily. Um, all those things are part of normal aging. And as it progresses, it becomes much more noticeable, but families often make excuses that that is normal, that is stressed, you know, he's 85 years old, that what is happening is very normal. So often there's a delay of 18 months to two years before somebody actually gets the care and the help and even a diagnosis that they need. Um, so that would be number one for me is to, you know, look at the signs and and See what you can do early because it's not always a progressive dementia. It could be depression in the elderly. Um, it could be a medication reaction, thyroid disease, um, a B12 deficiency. So there's so many things it could be that the sooner families intervene, the better. Okay. So that would absolutely be my number one. And I will tell you, my family, my dad had dementia. He passed away last year and he went almost a year before we were able to get him diagnosed. And this is what I do for a living. So it is incredibly common for families just to wait. Did you wait in your family? It took about a year from the first signs of something not right to getting a diagnosis. I 
doing what I do, I wanted it a little bit earlier, but it took me some time to get the other family members on board. Um, so again, the average is about 18 months to two years. For our family, it was just under a year, which is still a delay. Yeah. So I guess for, for families who may be dealing with this, how do we say to mom and dad, I want to take you to a doctor because I think, you know, maybe we should check out what's going on? Yeah, the conversation, often families go at it with the facts, saying things like you're forgetting to take your medications, you're not remembering. And we attack the family member, the person with the facts, when we really should be going at them with our emotion to say, Dad, I'm really concerned about you. Because a person with dementia will feel attacked if you go at them with all the things they're not doing right. And also, you can't argue emotion. Just to simply say, Dad, I'm worried about you. Have you noticed anything? Are you concerned? It has to be a partnership, and oftentimes families jump in and just take control. And a person who has some memory loss or has some dementia going on are so fearful of losing control that we have to involve them in the process as much as we can. If we find that a parent or a loved one has dementia, is there anything available that can, and I guess I'm, I guess I'm asking about pharmaceuticals, are there any drugs that help? It depends on the type of dementia it is. Um, and, you know, we can talk an hour about all the different kind of dementias, but if it is a progressive you know, Alzheimer's, dementia. There are medications that can help with some of the symptoms along the way, like the depression. Um, hallucinations are often common, and there's medication for that. But right now, there is no medication or treatment for the disease specifically itself, which is why so much research is needed and fundraising is needed because, you know, before we even find a cure, we need to find ways to slow the disease down. But right now, there's pharmaceuticals for some of the symptoms related to dementia, um, but not specific to Alzheimer's or dementia itself. Mm-hmm. How about prevention? What is recommended is that people take care of their brain the same way they take care of their heart. Exercise, no smoking, healthy diet, keep the brain active. I've been doing this for 32 years, and I see some of the healthiest people who still can develop Alzheimer's. Or, you know, we've had presidents of this country and, you know, very intelligent people whose brains were very active develop this disease. So um, there's some things you can do. And we encourage everybody to do those things. But right now, there is not a surefire way to prevent Alzheimer's and many of the other dementias. Physical exercise. I've heard that there are some physical exercises, you know, when you have your arms and legs cross the midline of the body. Have you heard of these kinds of things? I have not. I've heard exercise in general that, you know, again, cardiovascular health is good for the brain also. And other other exercises like yoga and meditation to help with stress and, you know, reducing your blood pressure are also very good. Um, but I have not heard that. I will have to look into that. I have not uh, heard that specifically. You know, I've, I've heard it for, for both brain health and also for children on the spectrum that when you can get someone to cross the midline of their body, that it's um, that it stimulates the brain. But so, oh gosh, I, I hate to, I hate to paint such a bleak picture. But I think what you're saying is, even if we do all the right things, we could still succumb to this really awful disease. 
to not just be doom and gloom that even with the disease, there are people who with Alzheimer's are still doing volunteer work. They're still engaged that even though the disease will progress, it doesn't mean that the person still does not have abilities and still can't contribute. And that would be, I think, the second piece of advice I would give to families and just anybody who's dealing with somebody with dementia is they're still there. They still can contribute. They still can laugh and have a sense of humor. And they're still there. And it, it's not all doom and gloom. But, you know, I've been doing this for 32 years. And I have seen amazing moments and experiences with people who have dementia. So I, I would not wish the disease on anybody. But if you do get the disease, there are still such possibilities that can happen. What happens in a memory care facility? Well, they're all a little bit different. You know, we do, all of them provide a safe and secure environment with care. So, you know, everybody, who, no matter what the environment is, they're going to get care, they're going to get their meals, they're going to be safe. Um, some of them are a little different, and I like to think of ourselves as that way, is that we take care of the human being inside of the safety. So we don't have residents get up all at the same time, that if somebody used to sleep in late, they're going to sleep in late. So I, I think it's more saying the community, the building itself does the memory care. We do the human being care inside of it. Um, and it's, again, it's, it's treating the people with dementia like the human beings that they deserve to be treated as and have a voice. Um, but there are programs that will stimulate the brain. There are things that are happening to give our residents a purpose. It's uh, we think human care is more important than memory care because memory care tends to focus on the things they can't do and human being care focuses on the things they can do. Oh, beautiful. What about things like memory books? I've heard that some people make pictures of the family and sit with their uh, relative and remind them about, you know, who they're, who's in their family to, to keep names at the top of their head or something like that. Do you guys do that kind of thing or is it even worth it? Well, we do outside every suite for our residents who all have memory care. We do have a shadow box that we put not just family pictures in, but things that are going to trigger positive emotional moments. So if somebody was, you know, loved horseback riding, we might have pictures of horses outside there. We want to provide them with memories that maybe the brain can't remember, but the heart can remember. So it's not that they know their daughter's name necessarily, but that they know this person brings me joy or that when I see horses, I feel good about it. So it's more giving them memories with a good emotional experience versus the facts because they're going to forget names and they're going to forget facts, but they're not going to forget emotions. So we have picture books of, you know, babies. I love babies. And if you handed me a book with all pictures of babies' faces in it, I will have a great day. For some people, it's sports or it's food or it's gardening. So anything that can visually stimulate a happy memory is what we want to provide to our residents. So finally, is there anything else you want our listeners to know? I want them to know that when people hear the diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia, there's a sense of, I don't know what to do and hopelessness, that there are agencies out there, there are communities out there, there are resources out there, there are people who want to help you navigate this journey um, to make it the best we can. Oh, I like her a ton. Mary Underwood, a memory care specialist with Artists Senior Living. Smart lady. Hey there, Casey here. Feeling creative? 
Looking for your spark? We're going to help you with that. Where do you hear this guy's story? It is so, so cool. Gene Jones is from Katona, New York, and he has had one heck of a career. Gene has hosted the Gimme a Hint Trivia Game Show, performed at over 2,500 events, and has appeared on national TV, including the Martha Stewart Show and ABC News. But he's here today to talk about creativity. And what I will not allow is for anyone in my presence to say, I am not creative, because you are. Maybe it's the way you line up your shoes in the closet, or bake a cake, or throw a dinner party, or create a garden, or remember people's birthdays, or hang the curtains, you know, maybe curtains are your thing. I don't know, but everybody has a spark of art inside them. And Gene Jones, author of Younger and Wiser, agrees with me on this note. I absolutely do. I think that uh, the main thing is people have to realize that there's different types of creativity. So not everyone's going to create a masterwork of art uh, or music or something like that. But at the same time, there's what I call practical creativity, which is the ability to solve problems and deal with situations and adapt. And I think it's all about making adjustments, and everyone is capable of making adjustments. So if you just apply certain principles to creativity in that regard, it becomes very doable. So give us some inspiration. How do we find our spark of creativity? What I started with was creating kind of a file on what made my life creative. So what did I do that was successful in my creative life? And I kind of broke it down into nine things that I call the nine pillars of creativity. So the first one is freedom, which is just freedom of thought and not to be entangled in a, by other people's opinions and things, but be able to think for yourself and not to be afraid of that. And then there's openness, which is the openness to other people's opinions, other ideas, and new changes. So being open to change is the key to making changes. And then there's flexibility, and that's being able to, to make adjustments and change with the situations and not to be rigid in your thinking. And then, of course, you need some passion. And passion is just really, really a very important driver of everything. But at the same time, you need to have some discipline when you're going to be passionate. So if you combine those what I call foundational parts of creativity, then you move into curiosity, and what I call vocabulary, which is vocabulary being the actual lexicon of things that you have in your mind and your abilities and your skills. And when you start combining all those things with curiosity and the desire to learn, you start moving forward. And then the real important thing is peripheral vision, which is the ability to see not just straight ahead of you, but all around you, and to see the possibilities and the options. And I think that's the one that people have been getting tripped up on in the last year. They don't see all the options that are available to them and all the possibilities. All right. I th- if I'm counting along, we've got two more. That's right. So we're up to faith, which is the kind of... Faith is believing in yourself and believing in the possibility of options turning out in a positive way. And you need some patience in that. That's the uh, kind of thing that you have to bear in mind. You can't just have blind faith, and at the same time, you can't give up your faith. And patience is kind of the thing that balances those two out. And the, the last one is collegiality, and that's the ability to collaborate with others and to, to have kind of 
take in the the energies and the ideas of other people and to work with other people because even on individual projects there's always interfacing with other people and other ideas and other skills and other um, resources so those nine all together really form a very powerful way of becoming practically creative which is something that is within the reach of everyone practical creativity (laughs) practical if you can say it you can do it (laughs) (laughs) practical creativity i think i am i have that i think i have a little bit of that but i love your nine pillars and i know the people listening will find just what they need in that list freedom openness flexibility, passion, curiosity, vocabulary, also um, collegiality, faith, patience. What about peripheral vision, though? Can you explain that one to me? Absolutely. Well, for people that are sports fans, that would be for basketball, court vision, and football. They call it football IQ. But basically, peripheral vision is the ability and the willingness to look around you. I mean, when they have a horse in Central Park, they put blinders on them so they only see straight ahead. And what we have to do is take off those blinders when we deal with life situations because there are options out there everywhere all the time. And a lot of times we just walk blindly past them. And so I think that it's really important to take another look at every situation you're in and try and see it from different aspects and different angles. And I can give a quick uh, example. In my own business years ago, I was producing a Hollywood theme party that I had to make makeup mirrors for. And we made the makeup mirrors. The party was successful. And then I owned the mirrors at the end, so we put them in our storage space. And for a year, they were always in the way when we would come in to get equipment for other jobs. And I was just about to throw them out when all of a sudden it dawned on me that the reason I had built them was because I couldn't find any when I went to rent them. So I called all the rental houses and I said, by the way, I have three makeup mirrors. And all of a sudden they wanted to rent them. So I ended up in the mirror rental business and pretty soon people wanted six mirrors, 12 mirrors, 24 mirrors. They wanted director's chairs, tables, pipe and drape. We became the number one makeup mirror supplier to the movie and theater and fashion industry in New York for many years until I sold that end of the business. But that was an opportunity that was sitting in my warehouse all the time, and I didn't see it until that one day. I love that story. I love that story. You're tripping over these boxes. I wish I could get rid of these mirrors. And the next thing you know, those mirrors became a stream of creative energy for you. That's amazing. I love that. Well, it's the ability to see opportunity. And that's really what all these nine pillars are about. And that's the reason that I put them in my book, Younger and Wiser. Um, The book is actually a book of backstory poetry, but at the end I put a link in to the nine pillars and there's a 25-page downloadable uh, PDF that people can get, which not only describes the nine pillars, but gives you ways to strengthen each one. Mm-hmm. Oh, Younger and Wiser, you came out when? It came out in 2020. Oh, wow. Wonderful. And tell us a little bit about your background, your, your career. It sounds like you've done lots of things. Well, it's been interesting. I started out actually in radio, and I was a radio DJ and talk show host doing mostly blues music and talk. And a promoter came and asked me if I would emcee a concert. 
so that gave me the idea that if I was going to MC his concert, I would should also get the ability to interview the person who was going to do the concert. So my first interview and MC job was for James Taylor, and then I ended up doing all kinds of people like Kiss and the Grateful Dead and the Almond Brothers and Ike and Tina Turner, and so it was quite a great experience that I got to do all these concerts as the MC, but also to interview all these groups and famous people. And that's how I got into the business. But then I eventually produced a show where I had an international vaudeville troupe on stage, and they asked me to go to Europe with them, so I did. And I ended up becoming their business manager, but in promoting them, I learned to do some of their skills and tricks so I could demonstrate. And one day an an agent asked me if I would go on the road as an individual entertainer. And that shocked me, but I said, why not? And that started a touring, six-year touring uh, spike that I went on doing all kinds of skills such as fire eating, mime, magic, and, and juggling. So I became a professional juggler, which ended up, uh, I became the MC for the International Jugglers Convention, and they elected me president, and I produced <laughs> all their festivals and ended up uh, becoming the judge for juggling for the Guinness Book of Records. And I got friendly with the head of the Guinness Book, and he actually brought me in, and I became an associate editor of the book and their official spokesperson for about five years. <laughs> We're talking to Forrest Gump. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, and that, that actually led me to starting a game show, and I invented my own game show, which I've done for the last 35 years. And all the time that I was doing all these things, I was writing down the lessons that I learned from the different experiences that I had all over the world as I toured and met all the people that I met and and entertained all the audiences that I entertained. And that is what I put into my book, Younger and Wiser, which I finally accumulated and compiled and published in uh, 2020. Jane Jones, it is wonderful to meet you. I have just the biggest smile on my face listening to how you went from one thing to the next. Uh, from radio to your first MC gig was James Taylor. You started at the top. It was pretty wild. You walk into an arena and all you see is little running lights going up. There were 14,000 people there and I had never been on stage before and I have to say it was quite intimidating because you couldn't see anything but lights and uh but it worked out well and and the rest as they say is history it was it's been a great career and i I think that all those things come back to the nine pillars of creativity because I, i when i kind of retrofitted my life and analyzed how i went about doing all the things i did and making them actually into one big flow it all came from those nine pillars Beautiful. What are you going to do next? Well, I'm working on my next book, which is a book of wisdom, and uh, hopefully it'll be something that will really bring a positive energy to the world. And that's really what I'm trying to do is just to give back in any way that I can to help this world uh, become a better place for everyone to live in. Isn't he great? Gene Jones from Katona, author of Younger and Wiser. He has done so many fabulous things in his life. I just love that. So you can go to dreamquestpublishing.com, dreamquestpublishing.com, and learn more about Gene and find out about those nine pillars of creativity. Coming up next week, did I tell you who's on the show next week? Thomas Moore, author of Care of the Soul. We're going to talk about his new book, which I took away with me on vacation and devoured. But of course, I can't think of the name of it right now. 
Uh, but it's it's wonderful advice for how to be a therapeutic friend, you know, because we are all therapists to each other, right? Call your girlfriend, get some advice. He tells us how to do that well, Thomas More. Let me do a quick Google and find out the name of that book. I loved Care of the Soul so, 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 so much. That was a big game changer for me. Soul Therapy. Soul Therapy, the art and craft of caring. Oh my goodness, I love that so much. I've got everything, almost every line in the book underlined. Love that Thomas More. You're going to meet him next week. Yeah, so I flew to Florida to see my mom. She's doing great. The travel was great. Everybody on the plane wore their masks, and then they came around and asked us if we want a snack, so we took our masks off. I don't know. But you got to go see your mama, right? Right. All right, we'll have your thought for the day right after this. If you're caring for a loved one with dementia, it can be stressful. As their needs progress, you need support. At Artist Senior Living, we partner with you and your loved one to provide above and beyond customized care. Experience the artist's way in Briarcliff Manor, Chestnut Ridge, and coming soon to Somers. Learn more at theartistsway.com slash W-H-U-D. That's the A-R-T-I-S way dot com slash W-H-U-D. Our thought for the day is from Albert Einstein, who said, Creativity is intelligence having fun. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.